cinnamon, resveratrol, and indigo 3G. I think the main one is to consider whether you would rather use eye drops made of vinegar or toilet paper made of sandpaper. Is that another one? Um, just rather than talking about supplements, I think that's more important. It's more important Fine. to consider that. Was that a, a vote on? No, I just looked it up. Come up with it. Yeah. Eye drops made of vinegar or toilet paper made of sandpaper. Yeah. Toilet paper. Mm-hmm. It's a no-brainer. How often do you use eye drops? I see. I mean, that's not really mentioned. Would you rather be without elbows or without knees? That's a great one. That's fantastic. You wouldn't... Oh, you wouldn't be able to squat either way, I suppose. <laughs> no, you could, you could put your hands on the plates. Okay. What you'd struggle is any kind of fine motor skill that involves... Yeah, that involves your face. <laughs> or, like, you wouldn't be able to lift anything to your face. You'd struggle to eat. Unless you use the bowl. Yeah, you die pretty quick. Well, you could drop food into your mouth. Ha- hands overhead. But anything hot or sharp. Why hot or sharp? It'll cool down as it's falling. <laughs> Surely, <laughs> seriously, eating hot food doesn't depend on your elbows. No. <laughs> like, even, what, even if you have elbows, you what can't I'm eat hot about or sharp is food. Your, there's, a lot of, there's a large margin for error. You've straightened your arm vertically overhead. And you're now relying on your ability to drop that perfectly into your mouth. And I'm saying, if something is abrasive, for example, a potato croquette, it's quite abrasive. Classic abrasive food, okay. And that would land, so the potato croquette, you, in some freak incident, don't exactly drop it at exactly the right angle to fall perfectly in your mouth. And it hits you on the nose, scratches your nose, and then breaks a molten potato goes all over your face. Right. You'll be thinking, I should have gone for the elbows, not the knees. That's so when you're eating a potato croquette that's slightly too hot, you'll be regretting Or molten. Or molten. Molten hot. Right. Well, luckily, I think the last time I had a potato croquette must have been school dinners. You're you are weird though. So because I'm weird <laughs> I eat less than the normal number. Would of you rather have a dragon or be a dragon? These are great. We should have used these well, well, for the podcast. <laughs> rather than the Freaky Friday. Would you rather have sex with each other or have sex with each other? <laughs> have a dragon or be a dragon? Mm. Be a dragon. No financial responsibility. Once the news breaks out that you're a dragon, it's back to the large, the large duck again. You're going to get the military on you again. Well, probably faster than if you were a large duck. Bloody hell. I think, you know, it's like the Grand Theft Auto scenario, isn't it? If you're a large duck, it'll probably be police first. Probably like local police department come out and investigate reports of large duck. That then escalates to like the city police, probably arm, an armed police unit's going to come out to deal with the large duck. They'll fail because obviously you're a massive duck. Once that fails, they'll probably then escalate that to London. London will probably then send like some kind of armed response team There'll maybe be air support. They'll call once, London. Once that, <laughs> you've not got much faith in the northeast military ability. <laughs> I don't know why I thought we'd call London. <laughs> Seems like the people you'd call, doesn't it? What's the number for London? Twelve. Okay. <laughs> and then once London are involved, London will then probably ring America. So what I'm concerned about, Johnny, is that <laughs> we we've been asked to talk about 
individual variation in macronutrient ratios. Yeah. And the first 10 minutes of this podcast has either got people wanting to carry on mm. or they've given up the thought they're not going to talk about individual variation in macros. Okay, so this one's macro-related. Right. Would you rather email an embarrassing email to everybody you know or eat an entire stick of butter? How embarrassing is the email? Because I do that quite frequently. To our uh, really embarrassing anyone who's signed up for <laughs> Twenty Two Rules, which is our free ebook on the website. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I send embarrassing emails very frequently. <laughs> Sign up now to receive them. Um, I would take a stick of butter. I think you'd get the right kind of butter would be quite nice. Okay, you'd. But then I. You could flexibly adjust your calories for the day or the next yeah. day to account for it. Would you rather eat the same meal again for the rest of your life or never use Instagram? Oh, God. <laughs> I love how that's the only question of all of the ones that we've been asked that stumped you. You, you eat the same meal every, every day anyway. Pretty much. <laughs> Just wagon wheel. Wagon wheel and way. And then wagon wheel away. <laughs> <laughs> wagon wheel away. Right. <laughs> Yeah, let's get let's get to it. You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain. With none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. Okay, so on to the meat of the podcast. Welcome to episode 37. We're going to discuss why different people need different macronutrient ratios. So I'm here with Johnny. Before we start... We've got an exciting announcement, uh, which is that we got our first hater today. Something that we've been looking forward to for a while, so thank you for that message. It means you've, means you've made it, doesn't it, when you have a hater? One hater. <laughs> Everyone talks about it as this, like, oh, I've, I've got to deal with all these haters. And I'm thinking, like, well, we must be doing, we must be doing something wrong. If we're not, well, the no. thing is that this is when I find out that the hater is actually Johnny just trolling me. <laughs> <laughs> just to make Yusuf feel better. It was in response to my article, wasn't it, in fairness? That's true. So so this was voted on in the Facebook group by nine people. I think it was the only... The only the topic. The only topic. So, yeah. It, because this was, some, you know, when I was going to record the podcast last week, I asked, what would you like me to talk about? And probably one of the deepest most complex questions possible came up as the only option. So I did a cop-out and did something else instead. <laughs> it's way more than eight people. Twelve people. Twelve. Way more. Wow. <laughs> Before we do that, if you aren't already aware, I know we talk about this a lot, we are going to now discuss some things that are either actionable information, stuff you may want to go read more about, links to other websites, rather than trying to scribble this down on the back of your hand while you're driving, we now prepare each week show notes that go up every Sunday with timestamps in case you want to listen to a particularly funny part of the podcast again. Or you'd probably have to listen to all of it in that case. Right. Right. Um, and if you aren't already subscribed, you can subscribe to our email list by downloading our free ebook, 22 Simple Rules for Dramatic Results, which is pretty clearly indicated on the main homepage of propanefitness.com. So anyway, 
that's the uh, the boring bit out of the way. Back onto Yusuf with his pearls of wisdom. Pearls of wisdom. So the question comes from the idea that some people respond differently to certain macro ratios than others. And while that's kind of true, the what we want to address is why do you think that's the case? Uh, we have many people who are sure that they respond well to a high-carb diet or a, or a low-carb, and uh, very often when we actually get down to question it, say, have you tracked for a long period and are able to definitively say whether that is down to the carbs? Um, the answer is always, oh, well, I, well, I haven't been tracking too accurately, or training's been up and down, and so on. So, yes, there are differences in different individuals in insulin sensitivity. And insulin sensitivity is the amount of insulin required to bring your blood glucose down to a certain range. And that's going to impact how well you tolerate carbs. So if someone's very insulin sensitive, then they need a little amount of insulin to have a large effect. And if they're insulin insensitive, they need a large amount to have the same effect. But the things that the major things that influence insulin sensitivity, we're all doing. If you're listening to this podcast, you're doing it. If you're working with us, you're doing it, which are you're relatively lean. You're doing some kind of activity, aerobic and anaerobic. So resistance training and cardio both improve that. Um, muscle mass is a good indicator as well. And that's pretty much it. But the other factor is age, which so your insulin sensitivity declines as you get older. So apart from that, we're all pretty much in the same boat with where we're at and how many how much carbs we recommend someone to eat. And the reason we're starting with carbs is because that tends to be the balancing factor and the most variable thing in someone's diet. So if someone then goes with a low carb approach because they believe that they are they respond poorly to carbohydrate, and that could be to do with a history of fat gain. It could be to do with when they eat a large carbohydrate meal, they feel very sleepy. But when they typically, they they drop carbohydrates, and because protein and, and fat both have a physiological requirement, then we need to make up the balance in calories by either fat or protein or a mix thereof. So you then, if someone has a, an aversion to carbohydrate, they go with a high fat or higher fat, moderate and high protein diet. <clears throat> and then they have inferences that they draw from how they then respond to high fat low carb diets or high carb low fat diets all of this is coming from this position of maybe an article that someone's read and a theory that someone's read a book an idea that center around one of the macronutrients being bad or one of the macronutrients causing fat gain for example the idea that carbs by themselves cause fat gain is obviously false if you look at um, the the standard example of if you were to eat 400 calories worth of sugar, would you gain weight? Of course not. Then we're back to the idea that calorie balance is the most important thing. And as long as we're remembering that calorie balance is the most important thing, then it becomes how can we, how should we be arranging your carb, your macronutrients within that calorie ceiling to benefit you as a person who needs to be awake and alert for a job or activities during the day and then also how can we benefit your strength training performance fat loss performance etc and so what we're going to discuss now is how we actually go about working with a client when we're setting up someone's macronutrients and also just as a general point i think of the hundreds of clients that yusuf and i work with we've never had or at least i've never had anybody where a high carbohydrate calorie deficit diet 
hasn't resulted in fat loss. Yeah, there'll be differences in preference, but that's something different. That's what we come on to. But there's been no physiological reason why somebody uh, wouldn't respond well to it. And even if they are, for example, if they're diabetic or whatever, if they're managing their insulin properly, then it still can be kept under control. Just to add to um, what Johnny said about sometimes you might read an article that would demonize a certain macronutrient. Sometimes the agenda behind writing an article is to scaremonger and to get some controversy around it. <clears throat> but And it's, it's very hard to tell when someone says there is a certain factor or a certain dairy will impact your insulin sensitivity or whatever. Like, fine, maybe it does, 1% or 2%. But when we look at something like that, we don't know the magnitude that it has that effect by or the genetic differences when all of those minor details are dwarfed by the fact that you're lean or that you train or that you have these huge rocks in place that keep your insulin sensitivity high and above average. I think worry, worrying about things like that is, is the same as saying my new pre-workout added 20 kilos to my squat. You know, Maybe it had an effect on how you felt or how one specific system worked. But the fact you, you went in and squatted. Squatted frequently, <laughs> consistently. Um, yeah, I mean... You, you do see some examples, you know, people talk about, oh, I would lose fat faster on a low-carb, low-carb, high-fat approach. And we've actually written specifically, or Yusuf has written specifically on that topic. What it tends to boil down to is, even if you did lose fat faster on a low-fat, or on a low-carb, high-fat approach, how is your consistency going to be affected and impacted over, say, a 20-week diet, which may be required for some people to get to the leanness they want. So we actually, I think it's podcast 26, I might be wrong, where we talk about stubborn fat. And one of the points there was that sometimes worrying about certain aspects of your of your diet can, you know, that if you're worrying about cortisol, worrying about cortisol <laughs> is going to elevate your cortisol. So I think for me being on a, and I realise we're getting a little bit off topic here, but for me being on a low carb diet, which is something I've done, for extended periods of time in the past is the same as you know every morning you wake up and written in a ma- on a massive banner in your bedroom is you are on a diet by the way you know you can't do anything you want to do social social life becomes more difficult because you can't eat certain places drinking alcohol kind of contradicts the whole point of being on a low carb diet so you're restricted to a really tight group of foods to keep your carbohydrate low in order to hit your macros and then that inherently means that your enjoyment goes down flexibility goes down and then adherence has an impact if you go higher carb moderate fat you tend to feel less like you're dieting which inherently means you can diet for longer which therefore leads to more sustained more impressive results and a better overall picture you don't want to feel like you're dieting every day <laughs> every mm. day of your, your of your diet and the worst part of this whole thing about being on low carb um impacting you the, the flexibility of your life and, and quality of life is that i'm not even convinced that a lower carb diet if everything else is held equal is even superior um there's some meta-analyses to show that there is no difference um some data maybe it would show like if if anything that you've come across does show superiority i guess the question is over a 10-week diet if you're going low carb or zero carb how much mental space is that going to take up mm. Um, yeah, definitely. In a surplus, there's actually no difference between the ratio of, of muscle to fat gain um, 
based on your on your carbs or your, your carb fat ratio so that doesn't seem to matter so we well basically i think what we're trying to say in a long-winded way is why do people respond differently or why do different macro ratios work better or worse for different people comes from this hypothesis this idea that that is in fact true that people do respond differently and i think what we would have you consider is that actually it's that people think that they respond differently or they have maybe some past experience that's altering the way that they perceive their reality or the way that that these things work for them that's not to say that um we don't do a low carb approach i think sometimes i've got a client who really enjoys a low carb approach because it makes him feel like he's in diet mode and although that's a bit of a masochistic way to deal with things he just he works in a very binary way and he's a very all or nothing kind of guy so being in low carb is like okay i'm in diet mode now um for other people you know there's some there's some data to suggest that white bread improves people's compliance mm. in the diet because it it's not considered a diet food and so if you're eating it on a diet you feel like you've got the flexibility and i guess that's the basis of if it fits your macros approach to dieting because in that study they literally two groups one with bread one without bread <laughs> that was the only intervention and with bread lost more weight yeah is that right the, which is they, ludicrous they, they just they stuck to their diet better yeah not so, sure about weight. but the, i think the caveat with what you just said and you don't have to say who it is but how long have you worked with that person for years right so yusuf this guy didn't just come to yusuf is it a guy it is in fact yeah. Working with him pretty much since 2010. Okay, so a long time. Seven years. So six years. That's <laughs> great, crazy. Great math. Great math. <laughs> um, that is maybe the only time that I would be okay with someone sticking with being on and sticking with a low carb diet, for example, if there's you have like data driven experiences that say okay. <laughs> for this six-month stretch when we use this specific ratio of macronutrients, you didn't respond as well as normal because reason one, two, three. It's not guesswork. So, yeah, and it, it wasn't successful because of any kind of physiological advantage of the macronutrient ratio. I think that's what we want to make mm-hmm. clear to get across, that it's to do with his individual psychology and probably quite an uncommon psychology as well. Mm-hmm. We've definitely been through the low-carb approach and it's horrible it makes you um see it makes your relationship with food a little bit odd you and, really, and your relationships you just yeah <laughs> yeah you start you just start to smell you start to get grumpy and looking forward to the refeed day you just elevate carbs on this pedestal i think what it if i would ha- if i had to summarize what it does for me it's it creates uh like a sense of entitlement <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah so like I'll get to the end of t- week week ten and I'm like, well, I must be shredded now. I've done ten weeks of this low carb. Like that's magical, isn't it? So whereas if I if I'd spent those ten weeks like regularly eating out, having Oreos for breakfast and just quietly getting leaner, yeah, just having it like hum around, hum over in the background, hum over, hum hum around, and yeah, hum around, hum, humming, <laughs> just having it happen in the background. That still feels wrong. Never mind. Um, is a lot easier to live with. And because of that, you know, one day you wake up and you're like, I'm a bit hungry, actually. Oh, wait, I'm also abs lean. That's maybe why. Yes. Um, and that, you know, so let, let's say... That's precisely what we're shooting for with our whole mm-hmm. approach. And if you've been reading our website for a while, that's exactly... It's the whole 
basis behind fitting your diet to your lifestyle, not yeah. the other way around. The the ideal like end target that I explain and discuss with my clients all the time is that I don't think I've ever coached anybody who wants to be the person who sits at the table with their friends in a restaurant and has to explain why they can't have any bread out of the bread basket, why they need to order chicken and broccoli, why they can't have any you know alcohol with their dinner. The reason we don't want that for anyone is because we've been <laughs> we've been person. there. It's unpleasant. But you you want to be the person that does exactly the same as everybody else, but does so with like a. a a vein in their bicep and full abs or like does so while fitting into the bikini better than anybody else. And so people can't work out why. Well, exactly. You want to be the the enigma that's shredded at the dinner table (laughs) rather than the the pain in the ass that never does anything. And I think the pain in the ass that never does anything nine times out of 10 believes that they can't have carbohydrates in their diet because it leads to fat gain or some other story that they're attaching to past experiences that were maybe muddied by a lack of track data. So do you know for certain that you can't track, that you can't have carbs, that you can't eat above a certain amount of carbs? If so, fine, like show us the numbers. Because ultimately, unless you have some data that says, I was in a calorie deficit, eating 150 grams of carbohydrate consistently without any deviation, and I didn't lose weight. Like if anyone has that information, we'd love to discuss it with them. But over all of the clients we've coached, we've never seen that scenario. Typically, people can eat plenty of carbohydrates in a calorie deficit. One thing to add, by the way, is that whenever you're looking at any kind of comparison in the evidence of zero carb versus carb, remember that the initial two to three kilograms of weight loss mm. will be from the loss of glycogen. And so that's not necessarily tissue fat loss. It, it'll just be because that will be within the first seven to 12 days of being on zero carb. So that's always a factor that you need to... With those comparisons as well, double check that they are holding everything else consistent. Like check that both groups are training, both groups are holding managing calories. You know, occasionally you'll see comparisons of these things, but they don't account for calories. It's weird because they're run by scientists, but they just don't seem to... (laughs) I will not bother with calories. They're not important. (laughs) But so one of the effects of a low carbohydrate diet is an impact temporarily on hunger. And, you know paleo and, and low carb approaches attack the calorie balance equation from the direction of let's limit somebody's bundle of foods that they can eat that are typically nowhere near as palatable as let's say big mac and chips or something you know something that's designed to be hyper palatable let's put someone on chicken eggs sort a few sources of fat some vegetables maybe some fruits you're difficult to overeat on that stuff it's also very satiating. There's a very high volume of food for a very low level of calories. And as a result, you tend to feel fuller for the, for the same unit of total calorie intake. So take someone who's been on the standard, you know, cereal for breakfast, sandwich for lunch type diet and put them on paleo or low carb. They'll tend to reduce their calorie intake as a result. And then that's straight away. You've lost any kind of meaningful result from that study. So Check that whenever you're looking at these things and using it to guide your decision, always look at the the fine details. If you want to try that for yourself, um, get two plates, line them up in the kitchen, (laughs) fill one of them, well, two bowls maybe, fill one of them with uh, 500 calories of cereal, fill the other one with 500 calories of kale, and uh, oh my goodness <laughs> let me know how difficult it is. Even even like 500 calories of, of dry baked potato. 
hard. Like, best of luck. <laughs> best of luck with that. Although, I don't know, 500 calories maybe isn't that bad. To be fair, but 500 calories of kale probably would fill a room, wouldn't it? It would kill you. Yeah, I think right. it would kill you. You'd have all kinds of explosive consequences from that as well, I think. <laughs> so, when somebody comes to work with us... Well, so, we, we've discussed this idea that basically we don't think that many people anyway, unless there's an underlying medical reason um, why certain macronutrient ratios need to be changed, so any renal condition, any history of diabetes, etc., we need to look at those as a separate issue. But if you don't have any of those conditions or any of those situations, we tend to prescribe and set calories using a, a pretty consistent, fairly popular framework. So we're just going to chat about that now. So the first thing that we set when we're talking about somebody's nutrition is calories. And I don't know about you, Yusuf, but I just, I just have a guess, really. <laughs> no, I'm um, so there's loads, there's loads of uh, there's loads of complicated calorie formulas that account for height, activity, body fat levels, or you know wrist measurements or whatever. You know, there's loads of different options. Generally, I use pounds multiplied by a number between thirteen and sixteen, and that a lot of people will go, "Whoa, that's far too vague." But generally speaking, it's the best guess. Like that's all you're making with a calorie intake, and the, the acid test is the first one to three weeks of somebody sticking to that. It'll either work or it won't. This is a luxury that we have when you're working with someone because you can tweak on the fly and not everyone can, can do that. The thing is, no matter how sophisticated the formula, if, um, it's, if someone's been eating 1,500 calories consistently and their weight is stable, but the formula tells them that their maintenance is 2,500, jumping straight to that is probably going to be a problem. So um, the first thing we like to look at is how, what someone's been eating up until this point. If they've been tracking consistently and their calorie intake is consistent, obviously that's a great anchor to start with. And then we can adjust on the fly. To be honest, the only time... So one of the most common questions we get, I think in the first fortnight of working with someone is, that seems far too high, that seems far too low, protein, carbs, fat seem far too something. And it's always coming from you know, just a, a place of, you know, this is different to what I've been doing before. Do you really think it's right? I'm worried. I equate high carbs with fat yeah, gain. It's the, so it's the same story, isn't it, over and over again? And it's mm. it's hard to get away from because it's been forced down our throats by mainstream media and fitness media. But typically, um, and this sounds like we're wizards, I promise you, as far as we're aware, we're not wizards, but... <laughs> Generally speaking, when, when we start working with someone, you get maybe one or two weeks as a baseline of daily weigh-in measurement, calorie intake measurement, and you can usually increase somebody's calorie intake beyond what they felt was possible while still either maintaining or losing their weight. And an example, one of my clients very recently, we actually increased her calories by 500 per day while over, this is over 12, 13 weeks slowly, but her weight didn't move. And I mean, within plus or minus half a kilo of when she started. And that, you know, she believed that her, her maintenance was a certain amount because of various coaches she'd worked with in the past. But we were able to, to bump her calories up. And that just shows that calorie, the, this idea of maintenance or this idea of a deficit or a surplus is almost always a range and can always be influenced by different factors, including just how much food you actually eat consistently. We've had... Um, the same fear as well so it's it, 
we're not not making fun of anyone that is afraid of uh, a new set of calorie targets or or macronutrient ratios. We we definitely had the same thing, and the only thing that actually convinced us was working with Eric Helms, who I was our, who was our coach at the time, and just trusting the process. And at the end of the the ten weeks or the sixteen weeks, we were like, oh, okay, maybe he was onto something here. Mm. So sometimes um, blindly following a, a trusted process that has a track record, not just any process, um, is what's needed. I actually vividly remember him sending me um, or giving me like the first, my first macro profile and immediately saying to him, protein's too low. Eric, please. You know, you know like, oh God, look, looking back now, um, but just because of the stuff you read and the stuff that you've done yourself leading up until that point, and it was only the thought of like, I'm paying for this. So that in itself was motivating, kept me consistent. And I was like, if I do it and it doesn't work, at least I can blame it a hundred percent on Eric Helms. Yeah. So Eric Helms is an idiot. He got me flat. <laughs> As it yeah. turns out, it was the, the opposite conclusion is that, you know, That's I was true. the idiot, but anyway. Um, so protein is the first thing we set after we've set calories. So once someone is in, a deficit or a surplus or maintaining according to their goals then and we are moving weight on average in the right direction we know that calories are covered how do we make up calories well first thing we set protein typically between 0.8 and 2.5 grams per kilo that might seem like a pretty wide range but generally down at the bottom 0.8 would be someone who is you know almost sedentary or you know, not really concerned about their level of muscle mass, not really concerned about their athletic or gym performance. They're just looking to maintain a balanced, healthy, in inverted commas, diet. So 0.8 would be right at the bottom. And then all the way up to the top at the 2.5 grams, I believe it's actually Mr. Helms himself published some research on um, dieting bodybuilders and protein intake. And the conclusion from that was higher intakes of protein per gram, so all the way up to 2.5. might even be higher, actually. Is it 2. I thought it was 3.2. Oh, the ver- that's that's the very top end. But That's if um, you're like Rich Piano. Or... <laughs> but yeah, there's, the, there's, there's different ranges advised by different people. It's usually um, centering around, say, 1.6 to 2.2 is the kind of yeah. um, the average level anyway. And the extreme ends are really... Um, if you have an unusually high level of muscle mass, if you're on drugs, um, whatever else. I think, but, to be honest, if you're on drugs, like just, just honestly, just do whatever you want. Just YOLO, just get yeah. a membership to Domino's and have <laughs> at it. So um, next thing is fats. And generally that's between 15 and 30% of calories. That's just based on flexibility, social life, um, and hunger and preferences. So... Some people that we work with in Asia, for example, are going to be higher fat foods and it wouldn't make sense to give them a low fat target all the time because they'd constantly be going over it, feeling guilty about it. That's so racist. It's so racist. <laughs> well, this, this is their request. This is not... I'm really joking. Um, I am a racist anyway, so... <laughs> Don't say that. Yusuf isn't a racist. That's, that's going to get misquoted somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just a soundbite of, I am a racist. Oh, no, I'm... I didn't say it. I stopped myself. <laughs> I am I am actually ethnic, so with a name like Yusuf, I 
it's, it's not even possible to be racist <laughs> if, if you're ethnic. It's, Say what you want. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't want this podcast to drag on too much. We've pretty much covered it, unless you've got anything to add on. Well, I think fans, the, Johnny. the key really is that fat, like, when people look at between 15% and 30% of calories, they think there's some reason magically why someone would be as high as 30% and some people would be as low as 15 The thing, what we use to drive that decision, as Yusuf was saying, is mainly... You know, how much does somebody eat out? How much freedom does somebody want in their food choices? You put someone on 50 grams of fat a day or 60 grams of fat a day, it's pretty difficult to fit in foods from a restaurant or a cafe and still have any macros left at the end of the day. So maybe that person would be better suited bumping their fats all the way up to the 30% range or in some cases higher, to be honest. Um, and then 15%, 20% is just a sensible minimum. Like I think saying how much is too little fat intake is a really difficult question to answer around 15% of calorie intake tends to ensure that things like you don't run in, you don't run into hormonal issues you don't run into dodgy hunger patterns mood issues etc um, some people can run on really low fat intake for a really long time and be absolutely fine I just don't know why they would really no it, it makes things really really difficult but um, like that's the hardest macro to keep under control as well it, it is it I, is I think the lowest I'd ever done was maybe 30, 40 grams. Really? 40 grams a day, and, and I, that, that was... I think like 50, 50, 60 was the lowest I've been. Right. Like, going to any shop, or going to any, like, newsagent's a great example, you just see walls <laughs> of carbs and fat, don't you? Just all over the place. And to get your carbs without getting your fat... You've got to you... eat Skittles, basically. Yeah, Skittles all day. Yeah. Because if your carbs are that low, sorry, if your fat's that low, then your carbs are going to be even higher. And... Unless that's really what you enjoy eating, or unless that's really socially convenient for you, we'd always shoot for balance with macro percentages rather than um, specific intake. I suppose the only example of someone that we would change that for is if it is goal-specific. So if someone is a triathlete or they're doing marathon training, putting somebody on, say, 50 or 40% fat because they love pizza and then hardly giving them any carbohydrate as a result maybe isn't the best decision. You know, aerobic athletes who are doing long-distance endurance-based training generally should be having plenty of carbohydrate in their diet. If you're a powerlifter or a bodybuilder, general gym-goer, you sit down for most of the day, you'll be... You want enough carbs to support your training quality, but you're not going to be carving up like a madman that's <laughs> doing an endurance sport. <laughs> So I think really the bottom line, the actionable steps of all of this is that it doesn't really matter. Just get enough of each, have sensible ranges with each of your things, center your initial diet around calories and then protein, and then fix your fat between 15 and 30%, and then carbs are the balancing factor. I think that something that displays maybe how little we focus on this when we're working with people is we often, I have a few clients who are on a protein goal and calorie goal. And they can make up what their carb, their calorie intake from whatever ratio. How are their results impacted by that? Not at all. Yeah. As long as as long as they hit their calories, you know, plus or minus 150, 200 calories. I think we used to get very hung up on macros. Mm. When in the end, it's as long as there's enough of each, and they're doing what their purpose is, then yeah. we're fine. When calories are very high or very low, um, more more so when they're very low, that's when we need to just make sure that we are hitting the minimum of yeah. each. Yeah. I think when someone's been dieting for a very long time as well. The impact of five grams of carbs is tangible. Yeah. Like 
if you've ever been on an extended diet into very low levels of body fat, you'll know that adding 10 grams of carbs, you can you can feel it in your yeah. mood and stuff. So. Yeah, you can. I think the, 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 the take-home point from all of this really is, you know, when we're discussing individual examples of clients and stuff like that, we've arrived at these conclusions through experimentation with them. So let's do something for four weeks. Let's measure weight. Let's measure how you feel. Let's measure mood, alertness, fatigue, how restful, how restful your sleep is, all these sorts of things. And then we change one variable, remeasure, retest. And that, you know, if you have an idea that maybe you'd like to try a low-carb diet, we're not saying you can't. We're not saying that's a bad idea. Just measure some stuff. Measure your weight. Measure how you feel. Measure your accuracy. And be consistent with that. Don't give up after two weeks. You know, try it for at least a month. Okay, so that's it for this episode. Please let us know. Um, please let us uh, uh, let us know what you want us to cover in the next episodes. Um, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes if you love or hate this podcast. Check out the show notes on the website uh, where you can get all the timestamps. And also, our podcast is now available on iTunes, Android, and Stitcher. So, by popular request for that, you can subscribe on any of those platforms. So, speak to you next time in episode thirty-eight. Test. Run again. Test. Just one more. Test. We recorded all that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>